one really kind of cool story with Delta that we were, you know, when we were talking about Delta Airlines. <laughs> At the very end of building this long report after about six months, the CEO had asked, can you condense this report or, or really change the size? The page size was for screen. So it was very large. It was more like an 11 by 17, you know, bigger piece, you know, paper. It's not really printable. And he was like, can you just make this an eight and a half by 11? It's the pages were like 80 pages, I think. And I need that by like Monday. You know, it was like four days. And um, we were like, okay, uh, why? And he's like, um, I'm going to meet the Pope. <laughs> I want to hand him a report. Welcome to the Green Hour, a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. Hey guys, I'm Preston Pogue, and today we're going to learn about environmental, social, and governance reports, or ESG. We're specifically going to look at the design process behind these reports, and in this episode, we are going to explore the critical world of ESG reporting from its fundamental principles to cutting-edge innovations. Discover the role of ESG reports in fostering transparency, get a behind-the-scenes look at the design process of these reports, and a glimpse into the future with microsites. Join us as we unravel the dynamic landscape of corporate sustainability reporting on this episode of The Green Hour. The 1929 stock market crash, known as Black Tuesday, triggered a severe economic downturn, leading to the Great Depression. It's marked by widespread unemployment, bank failures, and a significant industrial slump. Following the crash, the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 was introduced, mandating regular financial reporting for publicly traded companies. Since then, the filing of annual reports has become a standard practice for these companies. Fast forward to today, where most are familiar with annual reports. But now there's a new report in town, the ESG report environmental, social, and governance report, which details a company's sustainability strategy across the environmental, social, and governance aspects. ESG reports extend beyond numerical figures, providing a holistic view of a company's values, ethical practices, and societal impact. They delve into the heart and soul of a business, revealing its commitment to environmental responsibility, social well-being, and governance integrity. On the Green Hour, we're thrilled to have Kimber Flynn, founder of Indiblue Creative, a firm specializing in ESG, sustainability, and annual digital reporting. Kimber's expertise in branding, business development, and design has contributed to the creation of award-winning online publications and microsites, adding value for companies like Delta Airlines, Estee Lauder, Carter's, Expedia, and New York Life. She joins us to share her unique insights into crafting engaging and impactful reports for large corporations. While ESG reporting might be unfamiliar to some, its growth is substantial. 
According to McKinsey and Company, more than 90% of S&P 500 companies now publish ESG reports in some form. Similar to the SEC's historical mandate for public companies to disclose financial information, there is now a contemporary consideration. The SEC is considering new rules that would require more detailed disclosure of climate-related risks and greenhouse gas emissions from public companies. And today, you'll get an insider's perspective into these reports, which are poised to become even more mainstream. All right, welcome back to the Green Hour. Today, we have a very interesting conversation on ESG reporting with Kimber Flynn, founder of Indablue. Thank you so much for joining us, Kimber. I'm really excited to talk about this, especially considering the the changing landscape um, for corporate companies and the more companies that are bringing out social responsibility reports, ESG reports, um, all of those sort of things. So thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for inviting me on the show. I'm really excited. So first things first, um, when we talk about ESG reporting, some of our listeners might hear that acronym and and be like, what does ESG mean? Mm -hmm. So could you give us a a high level on on what ESG is? Um, And then we'll talk about, you know, what is ESG reporting? Sure. Um, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance Reports. Um, so basically, environment means like anything that the company is doing um, for the planet um, is in the report. Um, social is anything that the company is doing for its employees, like training, benefits, community um, enrichment, volunteer activities, etc. And then governance is really the priority that the board has for the company moving forward. So those kind of things. It's called a non-financial report. Um, it doesn't um, contain like an annual report contains financial data. It doesn't contain that. It contains just these structured items. Um, and that's kind of laid out in some framework. The report actually covers um, those items. It's a certain framework um, that pretty much every report follows um, and has these sections within it. Um, it's also used for like investors to look at risk and uh, mitigation and, and things like that that they may make um, in, in these companies. So if they look and see that the company is doing a lot of things towards sustainability and achieving net zero and having good suppliers and then taking care of their employees, being ethical in their decision-making processes and things like that, they're more likely to invest in the company. So, um, you know, they have other audiences such as their stakeholders or customers or or even, you know, potential employees. Um, millennials are, or um, I guess 90% of them are actually looking at ESG reports to make those hiring decisions or those, um, you know, what company they want to work for. Um, sustainability, I think, is really being driven a lot by um, millennials and, and Gen Z, actually, um, as well as um, other factors. But that is a, a really big audience. I think that a lot of companies are also trying to play um, to to get like I said, the investors and also their employees and staff um, for the future as well. Hmm. Yeah, you touched on millennials. So I'm, I'm Gen Z. And mm-hmm. I can I can tell you that, that from my seat, my perspective, it does play a big role in, in my purchasing decisions, right? And I would say I, I'm not I'm not huge into the stock market right now, but eventually I will be. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that reading a ESG report of a company will be a, a, a deciding factor um, for me. Um, just because in an ESG report, as you mentioned, you did so brilliant, brilliantly um, breaking it down, it touches on not just one thing, not two, but three different aspects of a company's, I would say, 
holistic sustainability strategy. The environmental things are, are great. Um, th- these are the things that people usually um, tie to sustainability. So looking at carbon impacts, looking at net zero, like you mentioned, looking at water, um, looking at waste. That's what a lot of people usually think of when they think of sustainability. But what's cool about the ESG report, and I'll be honest, Kimber, I mean, I wasn't deep into sustainability until a couple of years ago. That's what I used to think. Um, I used to think that it was just all environmental. Mm-hmm. But the social piece is so critical. I mean, you mentioned even the the word training, um, mm-hmm. company training initiatives. A lot of what I do in my job is training. And it's it's so cool to just work with all these different stakeholders in your business and training them on different sustainability initiatives. Um, and obviously, in an ESG report, that stuff is shown. Um, and then looking at transparency at the end in the governance aspect and making sure you're you're in line with regulations. That's another critical piece. So for me, um, I'm biased. Obviously, an annual report will show a lot of the financial aspects of a business. Um, but I, I love the ESG report because you can you really look at the heart of the business. You, you know, really do. Yeah, it's it's really like the personality and the brand. I mean, this it's a brand. You know, it's a very big marketing tool. I don't think a lot of people realize that these reports, just like annual reports were in their day, is a marketing tool. Um, they're not just read by investors, you know, and they don't just turn to the back and just read, you know, all the numbers and the indices and the frameworks. But there are other audiences that are making decisions, um, you know, for your company and for your future that read these reports. And so I think that that gets lost a lot of times. So um, that's kind of what our company likes to do is to kind of um, really design for those audiences and, and those multiple audiences so that they can get the information that they need very quickly, find it in different ways. Um, and, and, you know, and, and enjoy the journey along the way. Yeah. So that brings up, that brings me to my next point of looking at like an ESG report as a communication tool. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, ES, I mean, ESG reports, we haven't, we haven't said this yet, but a lot of them are, can be very lengthy. Um, I know I've looked at c- some companies that are 150 pages. I've looked at companies that are 50 pages, some that are 80 pages. So when we talk about this being a communication tool, I mean, it's great. Companies put out their stuff and, and environmental, social, and governance. You see all the stuff they're doing. But how do you communicate that in a way that makes sense for everybody? If I'm an investor looking to, to invest in a stock, invest in a company, and I'm like, oh, here's the ESG report. Let me read through 70 pages. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, now how does right. how does the communication aspect work um, with the yeah, ESG report? I think, you know, that's kind of where I believe there's a disconnect sometimes between the clients who are writing and, and developing these reports and the role of a design firm. Um, and so, you know, it's not just a, a hundred page PDF that you put up on your website and forget about. I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's like you spent all that time and energy, and you have that data. You want it to be read. Um, and so that's what we do. We create interactive PDFs um, for one thing, which have links and jump links from, you know, table of contents and different sections and, and things like that throughout the report. So you can kind of pick the section you want to read versus just reading and scrolling through the entire thing. There's usually menus and navigations at the top um, and all kinds of things like that that help guide a reader through the PDF. But what we are encouraging clients to think about more is digital um, reports to have the PDF, the interactive PDF as well. We know that's not going away. Hopefully that can become a little bit more succinct and concise um, and put most of your data on a microsite. Um, We call them report microsites or publication microsites. And that's 
like a whole digital experience we can create there. We can add video, we can have, you know, all kinds of animated graphics, infographics, we can have stories, we can have links to LinkedIn pages, we can have all kinds of um, interactive um, things that lead and guide the, the user through your report. And they can actually then you know, have an engagement with your company. I mean, you can have it interactive where they, you know, maybe enter some information and change numbers on a, a data sheet just to kind of see what that what that looks like for them. Um, there's just all kinds of ways you can capture leads that way. You can, um, like I said, have your company uh, mission video there or, a, you know, maybe a video from the CEO um, to personally speak out about um, these, you know, sustainability initiatives. There's just so much more on a digital platform. Um, than, you know, the normal 100-page PDF, <laughs> like you right. said, you know, and I think that's kind of becoming obsolete in my eyes in the next few years. Yeah. Now, that's great to hear. And I mean, you, you mentioned the word guide, creating a, creating a microsite, I was going to say platform, creating a microsite that guides um, an everyday person that might not have a deep knowledge on, on sustainability, but some might, some might not, but it guides you through the experience and helps you gain that information that you're looking for. Um, I think when, when thinking about user experience, if you can guide people as easily as possible to what they're looking for, you're, you're going to be successful. So companies, obviously, a publicly traded company, when you're looking at investors, you want that user experience to be very quick and easy because not everybody has... I don't know, three hours to, to read through a 70 page report. Or to print uh, it out at home, you know. Right, <laughs> right. right. And, and we're sustainability podcasts. Don't, exactly. We don't want to. I mean, you don't want to use all that paper in <laughs> it. It's like a no no. Yeah. But, but Kimber, I think, I think this is a good moment to kind of dive into to your company, to your firm, um, into Blue. Um, I, I just wanted to start off and kind of understand what ESG was, understand what ESG reporting is. But I think we, we've kind of laid the, the groundwork there. So with your firm, I, I kind of want to go back um, and understand um, you a little bit and understand um, how you got to the place you are today um, mm -hmm. with Indablue. Um, so could you start off by just talking about may maybe Indablue, what was your start? Maybe not, um, but how you got to the place you are today? Of course. Um, well, I've always loved design. Um, originally, it's funny, I started out an interior design uh, major. Mm. Um and I was really, really um, excited about that. But I switched to graphic design because I felt like it was more versatile and flexible for me. And it has turned out to be a career I really love um, because you can do about anything you want with it. Um, I'm like a lifelong learner. I love to learn things. So new technologies, interactivity, um, motion, I mean, you know, websites, whatever. Um, but I, my background, um, like I said, is in graphic design. Um, I started with a branding firm, an international branding firm where we name products. Um, and we also did logos for these products. Um, some of them were like Hershey Sweet Escapes, Pontiac Sunfire. We even worked on the Olive Garden logo, the one with the grapes, you know, back in the day. And so my start was really creating brands and look and feel, you know, branding and identity for these um, companies. I also went to work with um, a large architectural firm here and worked in uh, business development. And there I actually was working on proposals and presentations. And I taught myself at the time, I taught myself director, which was the, you know, the interactive software of the day, I guess, rather than PowerPoint. And I put all the presentations in director because I wanted to be able, they had like maybe 10 different arms of the firm doing different things. And I wanted to be able to access all their case studies in one way rather than putting together a PowerPoint each time. So 
um, I did that. And then um, I moved on and worked at a university uh, for a while as their design director here at Queens um, in Charlotte. And really fell in love with college university design. And I really felt like I developed as a designer there because, you know, I had budget limitations and, you know, all these different offices and people that, you know, I um, designed for. So um, when I started Into Blue 21 years ago um, with like a card table and $700, I I literally, um, you know, just took the leap of faith uh, because I was like, I'm never going to do it if I don't just, you know, sink or swim kind of kind of thing for me. And yeah, I, I focused on working with college university design. Um, at the time, nobody was really doing that. Um, they, they, a lot of people told me that market was too small. You know, don't just focus on that. And and I just really followed my heart and my passion, and um, did a lot of work in that area. You know, uh, alumni magazines, admissions pieces, things like that. And so I kind of really fell in love with creating bigger publications and about the brand, um, about the college university life um, and things like that. So we worked in that field for quite a while until um, we we kind of landed randomly on a nonprofit client that became one of our signature projects. And that was um, ARC Services, which is a member of the National ARC. Well, they were called ARC Services when they came to me. They're out of Albemarle, North Carolina. They hired me to design a brochure, but they I noticed they had a branding issue, uh, a big branding issue. They were developing a lot of services um, like behavioral health and things like that, that they weren't they were kind of spinning off new brands every time they had a service, I guess. And so I kind of took it as a kind of challenge for myself and went ahead and um, they were okay with us, you know, uh, doing some research and kind of learning more about them. And the research pointed to a name change. And so they were adamantly against it at first, which was really funny. Um, but we presented all the data and then we presented them with a new logo and how that logo would transform their organization. We don't n- normally do it like that, but we really fell in love with this agency and what they were doing in the community. Um, and and to the, you know, to the CEO's credit, she literally bought, you know, bought into it right away. Um, you know, we presented to the board. I think it was Christmas Eve. Um, you know, it's a very fast turnaround. And um, yeah, they rebranded, moved into a new space. And a lot of the ideas that we had became, you know, things that they did, like a butterfly release that they're, they're opening. And, and, and everybody just, I mean, every house I walked into, every, every person I met, had butterflies everywhere. We call it, they were called Monarch. Um, I'm sorry, I I forgot to tell you, the rebranding was Monarch. And, um, and so the butterfly um, logo we placed over the ARC, which is a throwback to where, you know, they're originally from, it's the ARC. Yeah, it was, it was a wonderful thing. We worked with them about five or six years, helped build their entire marketing department, development, everything like that, and got them started. And then, yeah, we took off from there. And then really, um, our passion has always been working with organizations that do good. I mean, that's kind of been my mantra all along. Um, coming from an agency, it was just really, for me, I wanted more balance. And I also wanted um, to work with people that needed the services and the experience that I had. And so that's who I hired um, initially with Into Blue as well, is there were a lot of um, really top agency consultants who were maybe stay-at-home moms who couldn't work a full-time job, but could work part-time. And so that was kind of my workforce in the beginning. And we developed really great creative teams and went on from there. And so I got into sustainability about 10 years ago and with a company out of Seattle and just really um, loved the whole industry and have learned and learned more and more. And I just, like I said, I want to make an impact and a difference. And I feel like this is the way I can do that. 
So that's kind of a little brief history about, you know, how I developed as a designer, but also how Indiblue came to be. And so I work a lot with consultants, you know, who um, actually do write these reports. Um, I do have a team of consultants as well um, that are working with Indiblue now. Um, but we we partner with different organizations um, as, you know, the different specialties for the different industries are very different and the frameworks that they want to do. So we kind of customize a team each time. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we are focused on the design, the user, um, the experience, disseminating all the information, the hierarchy of information, um, and just really, like I said, developing these beautiful reports that are readable and, um, you know, last. Yeah, I love hearing about people's stories because a lot of times you can look at people's stories and it's like it's connecting the dots to get to where they ended up and where they are today. I mean, all of your experiences from interior design to branding to logos to the firm where, where you were doing presentations, it's it's all kind of came together. And mm-hmm. it's it really from my end, it gives you a very unique perspective and it gives Indiblue a very unique perspective when you're working with these companies um, on ESG reports because not only are you a designer, but you have a, a, a great background in branding and logos and you can tie that mm-hmm. to make sure that the branding of the design of the report is right because I know that is that is critical. Yes. Um, from, from my experience working for large companies, it's branding is king. Um, You better make sure that your brand standards guide stays in line with everything that you post. Mm -hmm. Well, the good thing too, I will say, and speaking with some of the branding firms that I've worked with, uh, or the branding uh, departments I've worked with, is they do let these reports have a little bit more of a creative edge a lot of times, which is really nice. Um, We do study the brand standards and stay within all of, you know, the colors and the fonts and everything like that, the photos. And, but we are able to break out of that a little bit, which is it was really nice to do and kind of create something unique for that piece. So, yeah. Have you, uh, this is just out of curiosity. Have you ever worked with a client? Um, maybe in the beginning you did that didn't have a brand standards guide and you kind of had to like pull this out, like and just figure oh, it yeah. out. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've had to do that a lot, but you know, I mean, in my background, it's just kind of second nature to be able to start creating those kind of things and standardizing, you know, maybe a logo that, doesn't have a standard color, you know, and things like that and, and giving it a Pantone color or a font or whatever. Um, and, and just really kind of developing that personality through, like I said, the interviews that we hear and the, the, the stuff that we read that's coming back from the consultants and things like that. So in their past reports are very helpful to kind of see what they've done in the past to kind of do like a little audit, you know, a marketing mm-hmm. audit kind of thing on that. So I'm always looking at the whole, the whole picture versus just a small piece. And, and that's another thing about me that I, I think that is a positive is that I am more of a consultant um, designer. I I do help, you know, give opinions and, and guide the client in, in the way I believe and not really I believe, but like the um, in the standards and the um, uh, of what's needed today, you know, at the digital world and the online world, like, you know, maybe screen sizes or page sizes or, you know, this is going to be responsive. So we need to think of this or or that kind of thing, and just kind of bring up those kind of questions. So yeah, I, I kind of play that role as well. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, and again, my, my experience in the workforce is, is short lived. I, I haven't I haven't been working for a long time. Um, but from my experiences, anything that's creative, um, any kind of work that, that I'll do, whether it's a presentation, whether it's a, creating a video, crafting a script, you know, working on a website, wh- whatever the case might be, it takes a long time because there's, and, and people don't understand. I mean, I was even, I think it was yesterday, the day before, we're, we're shooting the video series um, that we're kind of launching. 
And um, I was talking to this to this guy that's on our video team, and I was like, people don't understand, you know, how much goes into creating just a one minute video, just a one minute video. How much goes into it? And he goes, Yeah, thank you for saying that because people people ask us for stuff all the time and think that we can just get it to them. But anything that's creative, anything that's creatively designed, mm-hmm. it just takes a lot longer than people think, um, mm-hmm. and there's a lot that goes into it. So um, I, I know with with your brand and your firm. Um, it's the same way. People might think that, oh, oh, Kimber, you can turn this around so quickly. But in reality, it's like, no, like there's a lot of things that go into this. There really is a lot of things that go into a report that um, I don't think the client um, or the consultants kind of realize sometimes unless they've worked with, um, you know, a company like mine. Um, a lot of times companies bring in, you know, a designer right at the end, like, you know, after the consultant has written the report, they just kind of drop the final copy on you and just say, design the report. Um, mm-hmm. at, and they think it'll take like a week or two, you know, it's not like we're laying this out in word, you know, with just fonts and bold and, and things like that. So um, this is actually something that we have to think through, we digest, we have to, like I said, put hierarchy on um, in the design, kind of break it up in ways on the page that a reader would actually read through it, you know, with, um, so we're, we're thinking about this as we're designing it, but also they don't bring us in early enough in the process. That's, kind of what I am trying to get um, out there, an awareness to, to the clients that, you know, you kind of hire experts to design your report, to write your report, let's say, and do the research and, and gather the data and make sure that's all correct. But you need to also hire the design um, experts to design the report so that the report is readable and functional and searchable and and all of those things, or it will never get read. Um you know, so I'm trying to to get them to bring us in in the beginning of, um, you know, the process, um, meeting the client, getting to know, you know, things that they like and they don't like about other reports um, to to kind of, you know, um, integrate those into the new report. It takes a long time to gather photography, especially for those sections, like you said, about employees and and about, um, you know, volunteer efforts. Sometimes, I mean, we had a report where we had to get permission from President Clinton's office to use a photo for, of him. So it's oh, like wow. those kind of things do happen in reports. Um, and there's so many people in the background that are working on reports. I mean, it could be up to 50 people on both sides, you know, working mm-hmm. on these reports over a very long period of time. I mean, usually our engagement is at least six months, if not longer. Um, and like I said, the reporting process is probably more like three to four months, depending if we do a, a micro site or another digital experience. But um, coming in at the beginning, we can offer, you know, this is a great opportunity for a graphic or a video or look at their website and they have like a whole library of videos. Well, this would be great to hyperlink in the report and jump off and have more information. And I think a lot of clients forget that this is a marketing tool too. And and we like to bring their attention to that. And, and also infographics are really important and, and really, you know, a, a lot of times really complex data that need a specialized like data visualization designer require time because the designer has to really understand, um, you know, and ask questions of the client of like what they're trying to actually portray and what the data means. It's not just a box or a pie chart. You know, it is more complex than that. And then if you add animation to that, you know, in a digital experience, um, some of those things can take a lot longer than they than they think. And um, so, yeah, we like to come in early um, and, like I said, be able to contribute to the overall design of the report. So looking at some of your your past clients and looking at some of the, the people that you've worked with and, and companies you've worked with in the past, 
Um, one of the, one of them that sticks out to me is Delta Airlines, and and I'll tell you why. Um, not not just because I'm from the Atlanta area, but also I was actually it's kind of like a full circle moment. I was in a car on my way to Talladega for a NASCAR race last year, and and j- just stay with me for a second because I, I won't connect. Um, but I'm in the car um, with some guys, and the guy sitting in the back seat with me. Um, he was on his laptop and I was like, Oh, what are you doing? You're just doing some work. Uh, it was like a Saturday. And he's like, yeah, man, I've got to catch up on some stuff. And I was like, Oh, what are you working on? He was like, Oh, it's Delta airlines ESG report. This guy is a consultant at Deloitte. So I, I just, I just wanted to add that because it, it, it kind of probably looking at my uh, report. Yeah. I was like, wow, that, that's incredible design. Who did that? Uh, <laughs> but, but I just want to touch on that. But uh, could, could you talk about some of your clients uh, that you've worked with in the past? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I have been really, really blessed to have worked with some really great clients. Um, you know, some of our first in ESG reporting um, was um, Expedia was one of ours. Um, and that was a really fun report. Um, we really enjoyed working with them. And obviously, photography and colors were amazing. That was a really fun report. We worked with uh, New York Life um, on their, I think it was 150 year um, anniversary um, report that I think it was their initial or second. A lot of times we work with clients and it's their first report, uh, which is really kind of cool too. Um, we've worked with Estee Lauder on a couple of different things. And we do more than just ESG reports. We we also do other types of reports like climate transition reports or climate lobbying reports or you know, there's all kinds of financial reports and even annual reports. Um, so um, we, we kind of do all of the the long form design is what we call it. Um, I've worked with Charlotte Douglas International Airport on their first ever printed annual report. That was um, many years ago. Kind of got me started with my love of annual reports, um, working with nonprofits and and with, um, you know, the airport there. And um, so, yeah, it's just uh, it's been an exciting time um, working with these clients. And then you really get to know them over a long engagement period. And so then, you know, when they go to new clients, a lot of times, you know, they'll take us with them, which is really nice too. We have a lot of repeat clients, which is, you know, my whole motto is about really relationships with our clients. We, we like to work with, you know, clients that, you know, are collaborative with us and that are, you know, um, looking for more of a customer service based agency and a team player. Um, and so, yeah, we are looking at this in the long form, not really just like, hey, I'm going to do your report and I'm out of here, you know, kind of thing. So um, that's really important to us. And, and one of my clients has been with me over 20 years, which is. Pretty, oh, wow. Yeah. It's not an ESG report. It's a college, but it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 They, they say, um, well, it's probably the longest standing form of advertisement is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do a great job, then people are going to talk about it and they're going to share it you know, it'll, it'll trickle down. I, I wanted to um, interject one really kind of cool story with Delta that we were, you know, when we were talking about Delta Airlines um, is um, during that report, the first time we worked with them, we worked with them twice was um, <laughs> at the very end of building this long report after about six months, um, you know, the, the CEO had asked, you know, oh, um, can you, you know, condense this report or or really change the size. The page size was for screen. So it was very large. It was more like an 11 by 17, you know, bigger piece, you know, paper. It's not really printable. And he was like, can you just make this an eight and a half by 11? It's the pages were like 80 pages, I think. And I need that by like Monday. You know, it was like four days. And um, we were like, okay, uh, why? And he's like, um, I'm going to meet the Pope. <laughs> I want to hand him 
<laughs> report. Um, and so we had an amazing time. This was, we called it the Pope Project. And, and we were like, yeah, it's the real Pope. And um, I actually, that was a fun thing. I actually worked over the weekend with um, my copywriter and we disseminated the entire report down to a 24 page, um, smaller, you know, uh, eight by eight book. And, um, and we also had to get it translated into Argentinian Spanish because that's what he spoke. So then we had to get it translated and put that in there. And then I had the biggest challenge was trying to get a company in the United States that could bind this book, print, digitally print it and have a hard cover binder for it. Just one, one book. And literally I called everybody and um, I had the idea because locally we have Shutterfly <laughs> and I, I reached out to them. And I thought, you know, I mean, that's a designer, a creative and you're like thinking, OK, they do photo books. They could do this, you know. And um, so I reached out to them and only because it was Mother's Day weekend and they were doing a double rush. Did this project ever happen? Because. They were like, if you get it in time for this, you'll get it on Monday. And so we like reached the deadline and then we got the book on Monday. And so I have a picture of like the Delta staff standing in front of the plane with the book. And then, you know, it had a certificate in the back because they were donating some trees in his name in Atlanta. And so, I mean, I knew that the book was going to be personally handed to the Pope. I mean, that is just, I mean, a career highlight there, <laughs> you know, I'm, and a good story. It's just amazing. Yeah. That is crazy. Uh, I, I can think of Shutterfly just because I, I remember my family, we got my grandparents like the Shutterfly like photo booklets when we were growing up for Christmas. Uh, but they're great. I mean, I mean, they're, they're, they're great. It's easy well, to design. Yeah, your custom design, you know, you load up your yeah. custom design, which is what we did. And so it was, it was beautifully designed book and you only needed one and, and the most printers couldn't print one and, um, yeah. and, or turn around the hard binding. That was the hardest part. They'd have to outsource that and stuff. So it was, but, but, but that again shows my experience with print, you know, and like that came into play because I actually then knew that that wasn't a route we could even go down. So not even waste our time. We needed to be looking at other alternatives because, um, you know, I kind of knew the limitations of like the print industry and the digital printing industry and things like that. So, yeah, it was a really fun project. It was like, you know, like I said, a career highlight and to be able to tell your family, you know, I'm actually going to design something that the Pope is going to look at. It's just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that was me. And I had an office. I would have a massive frame on the wall with with, with that, um, with that picture in front of the plane that you're talking about. Then, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> that happens sometimes on projects, which are really cool, you know, and really, um, like I said, bond the team together. You know what I mean? You have like, um, I mean, it's like a really unique thing that happened on opportunity. So, um, yeah, yeah. So we seized on it and, and went with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I just wrote this down because I, I just thought of this from my end. I'm used to ESG reports being digital. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to a website, you go to the company's website, click on a link, go to the ESG report and read it. I've actually had not had to, but, but I've researched a lot of uh, ESG reports for podcasts that I've had. Yeah. I'm just trying to learn about the company. But my question is, back to your point on printing this um, copy for Delta Airlines, do a lot of companies do this? Do they create a printed version, kind of like keep around the office, give to investors? Or I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, um, in my experience, no. I don't think that they print like a final version or anything like that. I do know that some of the limitations for us is the board and investors and things like that who do want to print this at home. You know, they do want mm-hmm. to see the numbers on a piece of paper um, or compare, you know, things. And I get, I really get that. So what we've done 
you know, is try to offer the client a different solution. So instead of like designing the entire report about around a small group of people who may print this in one form or another, you know, we actually um, offer them the solution of we will design all the tables and charts, which is what is mostly what they want to print um, in a smaller form, you know, so they can mm-hmm. click on the digital experience or in the PDF and download the version that they can print versus, you know, mm-hmm. being on a large screen and trying to get that printed off. So then we can have the larger report, you know, still on a larger screen and people can read it and it won't be, you know, if if you do it eight and a half by 11 or, or smaller, readable, number one, you know, it's not mobile friendly necessarily, but it also, it, it increases the page sizes. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of clients don't realize too, when they give me 30 pages of word copy, that's really 60 pages of design. You know, it's not 30 pages of design because, we need to add photos and white space and headings and and all those kinds of things. So that's also something that I like to tell my clients is then when we're doing projects is like it's usually double that, um, mm. you know, to get a good report. And you want to break it up with section pages and and things like that, table of contents, and so you have to think about all those things as you're designing as well. And when you're and especially when you're asking for estimates from from clients, you know, for what a report size is, I think that surprises clients a lot of times is that. They'll ask for one size, but not really realize that with design, the report is going to be longer. So the price then increases, you know, the scope increases. So I think that if they keep that in mind in the beginning, um, they'll be more realistic in what they ask for, you know, and what they're asking in the RFPs. So I have one quick question um, before a longer question, but I'm just curious on this too. You'd mentioned that um, with this Delta Airlines project for the Pope, you had to basically have a four-day turnaround to print this out and then you need to translate it into Argentinian. What is the best way to translate something of that size? Um, is, yeah. is there a platform, a system? Like, like, how do you do that? Well, I mean, there are a lot of different methods. I mean, luckily, Delta um, had worked with a company because I, you know, mm-hmm. being a global um, agency, they had, you know, local contacts that did that all the time for them, you know, Spanish and different languages and things like that. But so there are um, agencies out there that do have uh, native speakers who translate this and make sure the punctuation is right and make sure the tone is right and things like that. But there's also um, new technologies and new software out there that allows you to create a, a report, um, especially a digital report, a digital experience versus like a PDF. That kind of locks you into having to reflow all the copy. But if you have a digital experience, a microsite or anything like that, um, you can use sometimes Google Translate um, and sometimes some of these softwares will automatically just pour that into your design and adjust as needed. And so then you just have to tweak things. So there are different options out there for that. So, yeah. That's why you, you, I think hiring a design firm, we bring that knowledge to the report. Um, you know, I know um, I was approached by a very large organization. That's a global organization that needed, you know, five or six reports, but in different languages. Um, and so that's the kind of um, tool that we would use um, would be Google Translate and things like that for that. But it's hmm. through a different software platform. You know, it's not just like going to Google Translate. But, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's using that um, tool, mm-hmm, that plugin. Sweet. Um, so, so that's my, my quick question. My longer question, and, and you've yeah. kind of talked about this a little bit, but but I really want to dive deep here and understand, and I think the listeners will really enjoy this too. When a firm brings you in, mm-hmm. hopefully it's in the beginning. Um, like you said, it's, it's okay. at the project kickoff, so you can you know write it out the entire way. What is 
the entire process, what does it look like, the design process for an ESG report? So, you know, like I said, working with the consultants along the way, you know, we will have a design kickoff uh, meeting with the client as they get closer to the end of their writing period. You know, after some of their research and data has been crunched with the consultants, they're kind of like now working on an outline of the copy. They're, they're putting in the stories and things like that. We'll start, a, like I said, a design kickoff where we have like a creative brief. We kind of walk through about like, you know, your tone and personality, what you want your report to say, who your stakeholders are, you know, and things like that. But we also really look at other reports, other kinds of reports, other design um, from all over in every industry and kind of like, you know, do a reading. For us, it's like a gut check. As designers, it's really important to know what the client likes and doesn't like. Do they like rounded corners? Do they like straight corners? You know, do they like this shade of blue or hate this other shade of blue? I mean, there's very particular things that happen along the way. And so getting that knowledge up front, what we do then is create what we call mock-ups or concepts. So the client will get two to three um, different concepts where um, I usually put multiple designers on so that they get different, you know, um, perspectives. And um, we create like a cover page, a table of contents, you know, and then some pages with infographics and then some pages with like photos and text. So they can kind of see how the navigation might feel, how the hyperlinks, how the text may flow, how we're using those elements in the report. And so that's what we use as, you know, kind of feedback and guidance to create the larger report. We'll walk through each of these with them, get their feedback. And that really helps us to then, when we're designing, make those decisions in the now knowing, oh, the client likes it this way. Client likes to bleed the, you know, the photo off the page or a large photo here or or things like that. So um, that's the first start of the project. And then we lay out the first draft or if it's a larger report. Um, like some of these have been, we'll do it in sections. So if we can get um, section copy locked, um, you know, then we'll we'll lay out the first section and let them approve and and view that. Um, if not, we we will do the entire report if it's smaller, like under forty pages. But you know, as we walk through that process, I think um, again, you know, too, a lot of people forget, and and as a do- designers, we kind of have now understood this that the process is longer than you actually think it would be because once you think that your copy is locked and you know maybe everybody's read and agreed on it once it gets it gets into design and there's visuals and it's broken up to different pages and sections it's almost like people see it from the first time <laughs> they literally start looking at it very differently and there's a lot of copy changes that happen during that phase so you know don't just think that it's oh it's just design and we're finished it really is almost like you're starting over a little bit um, so there is a lot longer period of time. And so we go through probably two to three drafts. Sometimes we've gone as much as 18 drafts um, with people. Um, the the board, you know, has to review these things. And sometimes there's certain dates we need to meet for that. There's, you know, CEOs and there's different levels of leadership that have to look at the reports. So you have to pad in that time as well, you know, especially if you go over a summer and there's, you know, they're all out you know, for vacation and things like that. So it's just there's a lot of things to think about um, when you design a report. And so, um, yeah, and then we go through a final. And then, like I said, you know, if we do a digital report or a microsite, we like to do that concurrently with the report and stuff. And then you also have to work with their internal uh, marketing and web teams. You know, that's a whole nother component, especially if you're working in digital to get maybe a custom URL, you might have to go through a lot of um, conversations, you know, with their digital IT departments, you may have to get special permissions. Um, I mean, that can take months sometimes. Um, So you just have to think through some of these things. And then also, like I said, give them guidance if you're designing a landing page or what images to use. And 
and what kind of verbiage to go with it and stuff like that. I think a lot of that is an afterthought. Um, sometimes with these reports, it's just, oh, well, now we have to get it out there. I'm just going to put a link or replace last year's link. And I think it really should be more than that. Like you should at least have, you know, like some photos and some pictures or a, a really nice landing page. A lot of our clients are doing that now where, you know, that we create a whole page based on the design of the report and they can get that implemented on their site. And then it's just broken out by sections. There might be a photo and a couple of bullets and you can now dive into the report in that way um, with, you know, sections of the PDF and you can download the full report. So there's a lot of different options. And I think um, also social media, I mean, that plays a huge part. And I think, again, you know, clients miss out on the opportunity that with the digital experiences now, we can create animated GIFs, we can have movies, we can have all of these other things that you can share through your email or social media channels. Um, you can have, you know, infographics that are motion and animated that you share on, you know, social as well, that then get shared. Um, and, and that's really a lot of your audience is on social media and on mobile or reading the, the reports online. And I think, you know, the long form just PDF report that's not interactive or engaging in any way, um, just kind of really falls flat. You know, nowadays it's just kind of becoming obsolete. I think, I think I would say, especially with how things are changing and progressing, your annual report, your ESG report, the design of it, the functionality of it, the ease of use of it, the ease of view of it, it, it really shows the innovation of the company, in, in my opinion. If a company is just going to put out a 100-page PDF that's not interactive, 150-page PDF that's not interactive, it's like, how innovative are you? Like, how much time and resources are you putting out there to, you know, not only not only show the, the good that you've done um, in the last year, but also give investors something that they can take and hopefully yeah. invest in your company with? An experience, you know. I mean, it's an experience. It's like a feeling, you know, a feeling of trust and of like, this company took enough time to want to speak to me, you know, personally through this website or experience, you know, maybe it's a video, then they're directly talking to you or showing them, showing, you know, who they are through their mission video, things like that. Um, you know, just the flat PDF can't do that. And, and it's almost like hiding the information, not that they're doing that, but it's just kind of like, you know, you have to go dig and search for it. You know, I'm not going to just give it to you. And, and I think companies that are really kind of doing bigger and better and, and, and doing things they're really proud of kind of maybe spend more time on that. Um, but I think a lot of companies are doing good that just miss out on that opportunity because they don't know that it, that opportunity exists. I think mm -hmm. because they just go to certain, you know, consultants or agencies that don't necessarily specialize or have a team that designs reports. They don't get that kind of upfront knowledge in the RFP process or in their proposal process to explain that there are other options, you know, that we can look at a digital report. They don't even know to ask for it sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. like they really just um, come in with just, I know I need this for compliance, you know, so let's get this and I need to get, you know, that accredited and that, you know, um, the regulators and, and things like that. Um, so I, I get right now it's, it's a really, it's a high pressure time because, you know, ESG is becoming more critical in a lot of decisions. And I think, you know, really the EU um, with the Green New Deal or the Green Deal is really kind of pushing um, a lot of U.S. companies to get on top of this quickly. Because if you supply things to Europe and if you're global and you have offices there, you have to comply with those same kind of frameworks. You know, they're, they're different. They're named different. They have different things than the one in, um, in the ones in the U.S. But I think eventually this is going to become kind of the norm and the law is just kind of uh, if you've been to Europe, you kind of know already that, you know, they're 
their priority on sustainability everywhere you go. Even if you go into a hotel, you know, there's a sustainability sheet or flyer on your, you know, your bed telling you everything, you know, the light and the water and everything that they're, they're saving um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's just the future. Um, and, and so, um, yeah. And it just really telling their story. Like, I think these reports are amazing. And like I said, you know, with the addition of video, too, I mean, that's a whole nother thing I think that will become bigger in the future is actually creating custom video content. And that, again, adds to the timeline. So you have to really think almost a year ahead um, for these reports to kind of get started and, and kind of put everything in place. Yeah, no, no. It sounds like a like a long process, but oh. one that is... Um, one that profits the company in the end if they do it the correct way. Well, it's rewarding, I think, too. I mean, for everyone involved uh, to be working on something that's making a difference for the world, you know, um, almost, mm-hmm. you know, and for people, um, for their employees and communities and things like that. It's, it's really, it's rewarding. Yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's like what, and I need to be careful with how I phrase this, but obviously you want to do great things as a company, um, but if you're a publicly traded company, mm-hmm. You know, if you're not telling telling your story in the correct way and you're not getting that information out there and you're just keeping that to yourself, it's it's not going to be the best the best use for you as a company, I feel like. And um, if you can get that information out, um, people to understand it, it's not only going to help you, I would say, with investors as a company, but it's also going to help people to maybe get an idea. Um, maybe you as a company as an initiative, like in Atlanta, we have um, Trees Atlanta, for example. Mm-hmm. You can volunteer, you can plant trees. Maybe I live, let's say Delta Airlines has a report. Let's, I, I'm just making this up. I haven't read Delta Airlines report. But let's say that they have a partnership with Trees Atlanta and I'm reading through the report and I'm like, huh, I didn't know Trees Atlanta was a thing. Let me go volunteer at Trees Atlanta because I'm in the area. I want to do something good and I want to help the community. That part of it too, people don't understand is where that it can click um, for the yeah. reader. Exactly. You know, it's funny. Um, I'm actually uh, talking with a lot of students um, who are studying environmental science and wanting to be consultants in the future. Um, it's just one of kind of like a thing I do. I love to mentor new, um, you know, students in this area and maybe set them up and connect them with some of the connections that I have so they can do informational interviews and things like that. But one of the first things I tell them too is um, go to these sustainability reports and go to the community section. And start looking at what that company is doing and, and those organizations, because that's a starting point for them. A lot of, you know, a lot of them, um, you know, as resources and things. So, yeah, it's just funny that you mentioned that because that is one of the things that I kind of tell them to do. Because to me, that's my favorite section, you know, too, um, is learning more about what the, the company is doing. Is, it, some of these things are just amazing and they're not really saying them, maybe in a different way. But like I said, you know, to put it in the same report, I think is really important, um, like I said, for the social aspect. but. Um, yeah, I think I think in the future, there's going to be more, I guess, more of an integrated report. Um, I see these kind of reports becoming maybe larger. And if so, that's where the digital experience comes into play with the website, you know, that you're going to be downloading or looking at, you know, your navigation and you'll go, I want to I look at the social section or I want to look at the governance section and I want to see the numbers and things like that. But, you know, maybe it's combined with DEI, maybe it's combined with you know, the annual report as well. Um, this is where microsites and digital experiences can create hubs for you, um, for your website. And you can have all of those materials in one place for your investors. And um, and it's really fairly simple um, to do, but it's a lot of people just don't think through that kind of process. And so as these things become larger and larger, I think that, you know, the digital and online experiences is, is where it's going to go. And 
you know, um, one thing that we do create along with um, these reports, a lot of people don't know about because they don't really get publicized is we create snapshots and highlight pieces. And so those are smaller, um, usually, you know, just all the the cool things they're doing or the awards they've won or the how they've helped employees or the amount of money they've matched and things like that. But they're they're just smaller, brief snapshots of the entire report. And um, I think those pieces are really, um, really pretty cool, amazing, too. And you can download and read those and, and just get that snapshot piece. And a lot of them do publish them on their on your web on their websites and stuff. So I know I think Delta does. And, and so, um, yeah, but take a look at those as well. Um, those are really kind of cool tools. I mean, the, the snapshot's great because, I mean, we started this conversation talking about millennials and Gen Z. We don't have great attention spans. So this <laughs> will catch us reading a 100-page report, well, let me tell you. If, if we can get well, a snapshot, the, gives us the information, that, that is great. <laughs> well, the research says, you know, I mean, people are not reading online. They are skimming online. And that's one thing I pay attention to, too, um, you know, with headlines, with font choices or colors or sizes, but also like in, and I think in the Delta report um, is I highlighted important parts of the copy. Um, and, you know, at first they were questioning kind of, why are you doing that? And I'm like, because that's for skimmers, because there are, there's multiple audiences that are looking at your content and that's how I read things. So I, you know, I was looking at that and, and that is exactly, you know, like I said, I mean, the usability and research says that that's, you know, what half or most of the audience is doing right now is just kind of skimming for what they're looking for. And, and I also wanted to highlight really important points that I think would were buried in copy, <laughs> you know, and not really pulled out. So for me, um, we look at those kind of things and obviously is the client choice, whether they want that kind of thing or not. Um, but, you know, um, just bringing that awareness to them in the beginning that there are these different audiences that read their content differently. Um, like I said, we might break out and have a sidebar that has, you know, a video link to an, a different story or topic or things like that. And maybe people just want to read all the highlights or the stories and they can kind of, you know, just skim that part of the page. But yeah, I mean, that's what the importance of having a designer, a design team, a, you know, a digital marketing um, and reporting team is. And that's all we do. You know, we pretty much do all reports and when that, and that's our specialty. Um, and I think, we have a lot of experience on our team, which is really nice, too. That's also something I think with um, with education these days, there's not a lot of designers out there that really want to do long form design, meaning um, these long reports. I mean, typography, dealing with type, you know, spacing, you know, I mean, it's so minute and detailed that a lot of people don't even realize um, that how much attention is paid to how a paragraph wraps, you know, and, and how visually pleasing that is and not leaving one word, a widow on the, you know, the last line and just little things um, like that through a, an entire report. So I'll tell you um, real quickly, I was with my cousins and actually a graphic designer and she was working with a consulting firm in Atlanta. I can't think of the name of it, um, but she would work on different, I guess, different reports for this consulting um, group. And they worked with, you know, beer clients in Atlanta and she took me, actually, she got me an invite to this, basically it was tech week in Atlanta um, with, with her consulting firm. So I went and I remember looking at the PowerPoints of some of these presentations and these are big companies, right? These are fortune, 50 fortune, 100 companies. And we're looking at the PowerPoint and we, we're like looking at each other disgusted because it's like, what is this design? Like, like how did you get this wrong here? I know. I know. I mean, being from a branding background and knowing like how to manage a brand, it is very difficult when you have so many moving pieces and parts um, to get, you know, consultants that are out there creating their own PowerPoints. And, you know, um, and so I've worked with some agencies as well that work with 
global um, power, you know, doing PowerPoints um, and keynote speeches and stuff. And I've worked on that as well to unify those kind of things and, and basically taking everybody in the corporation or they're all the speakers PowerPoints and then putting them into the company template so that everything looks similar, you know, that everything's going to start the same, have the same, you know, title page, have the same fonts, have everything, same colors. And, you know, I, I've done that for many years um, as well in my past. And, and so, um, you know, larger organizations understand the benefit of that. It does take a lot of manpower and time, but um, it does, it really does affect how people view you as a company, especially if you're doing a keynote speech somewhere to really um, be on brand with your company and have a really nice presentation. Um, there's really nothing that can be said about that. <laughs> you really need that. Yeah. So listen really? to your design departments and your branding departments when they give you those rules and, and things like that. Please use them because <laughs> it's important. Yeah. The, so the last question I'll ask you, um, Kimber, uh, and, and you've, you've touched on it a little bit um, in different conversations, but looking at the most difficult parts of mm-hmm. this whole process of ESG reporting, working with these, ma- with these big clients with their ESG reports, what are some of the most difficult parts that you have faced? Um, is it working with with the board? Because in my opinion, if I'm thinking of it, I was guessing I'd say, yeah, it, it would be working with the board. But um, w- what are some of those areas that you know might be more challenging? Yeah, it really is. I think working with a very large when there's really a large team um, on the client side that is trying to make a decision, and they're all coming from different angles. So it would be like, you know, maybe a marketing person, a sustainability person, a couple of lawyers and things like that. Because I don't think a a lot of people realize that a lot of law firms and lawyers and attorneys are actually on all these calls. They're they're vetting all the data to make sure everything that we say is accurate um, or the company says. And so, you know, all of that's being checked. So there's a lot of different opinions on what needs to go. So it's sometimes it goes back and forth, back and forth. So if there's more, you know, more cooks in the kitchen, it's a little bit harder, I think, to get one decision because everybody will like different things. So the smaller the team um, on the on the client end that can make a decision, like, you know, to have a project manager is extremely important and not have just five people making a decision, but having one that I can listen to when they start, you know, putting in comments like, do I change this color because this one person doesn't like it? Or, you know, what is the actual, you know, answer to that? So it's really having a project manager on the client side and kind of keeping the group, you know, probably under five people, if possible, that kind of thing would be great. Um, but then, you know, obviously they go through um, really large, you know, reviews sometimes, you know, when I see the clients send it out to like 50 or 100 people, I just cringe <laughs> because I know everybody's going to have an opinion about that. And so I usually get three to 400 comments back that I have to go through. And the consultants have to go through individually and read them all, close them out or answer them. So it really, those are the kind of probably the hardest parts of it. And then also dealing with unrealistic timelines from the client. Um, As in my experience, I try to be as realistic as possible. But a lot of times the clients really try to push us really hard thinking that the report can get done sooner than it can. And I just kind of, I know how this goes. I've been through it so many times. I know that it's going to take leadership longer, the board longer, things like that, that they don't really pad in. And I I will say probably 80 to 90% of the time, the timeline is extended. It never is the timeline that they give us. So um, yeah, it's just to be more realistic with timelines. So so last thing here, there might be large companies listening, large, small, public, private, people that are listening. and they're like, why, why should I go with Indablue for my ESG report? Why should they? 
Well, I would say, you know, we are experienced in this ESG um, climate sustainability space. Um, We've done reports, like I said, for very large Fortune 500 companies and small companies alike. We give the same customer service and value to each one of those, but we also bring not only experience in design and branding, but we bring, you know, a partnership, a consulting, a collaborative partnership. Um, And we also bring, you know, these new innovative technologies and software solutions to your reports. So we're not just a company that just lays out a design and we're done. We actually add benefit to you and, and really want to be part of your team. So, um, you know, that, that's why we have repeat clients that come back to us year after year and why we win all the awards that I have in the back, you know, on our reports and microsites. And uh, yeah, um, we are expanding um, as well, um, you know, throughout the United States this year. Uh, but we also are looking to work in the EU um, within the next year or two. Um, and so we're doing a lot more, um, you know, trade shows and sponsorships. So be on the lookout for us because we'll be there. And um, yeah. I mean, definitely come have a conversation um, and think about us when you do the proposals that you don't just have to ask a consulting firm, you know, to do. A, you can ask a design firm, you know, as well to bid on an RFP um, and, and have two different, um, you know, combinations there. You know, I just think that that's a lot that the client doesn't realize. They think that they just have to go with a global consulting that has maybe an in-house department. Um but no, you can bring in your own designers and your own design team that specializes just in this, just like you would bring in your own PR department or agency, you know. So, um, yeah, just that awareness of like, yeah, go to our website um, into bluecreative.com and look at, the, you know, the work that we've done. It kind of, to me, speaks for itself. Um, and, you know, yeah, we would love to work with anybody who's out there who wants to connect with us. Yeah, I think I think a great way to, to show people why they should work with you is showing all the awards that you have behind you. Um, <laughs> what what are some of these awards? Um, there's a yeah. lot of them, so um, you might not mention all of them, but some. Yeah, Marcom and Communicator and some international awards for the first Delta, um, you know, website and report uh, for 2021. We entered, um, so we won about eight or nine awards. Um, for them. And then we also want to this, you know, same kind of Marcom and um, communicator awards for um, New York Life, um, Expedia, um, Dutch Brothers, Coffee. Um, so, yeah, we, we kind of just entered our best um, our best reports of the season um, in these awards and are looking, you know, like I said, more specifically for sustainability report awards. There's not a lot out there right now um, that are just for design, but there are, you know, um, I think upcoming um things like that. They're actually now including that as a category. So yeah, um, that's what a lot of those awards came from. And I mean, the other day I was actually doing a search on our company um, just to see what was out there. And I actually found out I won an award. I didn't even know I won. (laughs) I know. I was like, we can add Muse to that because I didn't even know we won two awards uh, for Expedia and New York Life um, through another company as well. So yeah, you know, it's just really exciting to me. It just, um, it's really, it's, I love sharing that with the client. Um, it just shows like the value that we add to them and, um, and, and, and the quality of work that we do, you know, is really a standout in, um, in, even in the international realm. So, um, yeah, I really, I really enjoy working on these reports and like I said, just showcasing design. It's, it's just so much fun. Our team loves it. So. Yeah, well, well, Kimber, it's been a pleasure to sit down um, with you virtually um, and and discuss ESG reporting. I hope for anyone listening out there that 
you kind of gain a new appreciation for the design of an ESG report after hearing this conversation because as you heard, the process is not, it's not really straight line. It can be very complex, a lot of different pieces. But when you do it the correct way, um, mm-hmm. it creates an incredible user experience that will enhance a company's, um, company's profitability, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. if you're a public, publicly traded company, um, you have investors to, uh, to think mm-hmm. about. But Kimber, again, just thank you um, so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really have um, enjoyed this conversation and um, look forward to speaking with you again in the future. 